This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio, Keyboard Kimura Edition. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Spencer Kite. I don't know what else to say, Spencer, but wow, there are moments in sports, in particular combat sports, that take your breath away. This is maybe in the same category as. Uh, as Mike Tyson losing to Buster Douglas and that people didn't expect it, but it was not this didn't come about the same way. Uh, I absolutely love the fact that, you know, we've been talking about various things around Ronda Rousey for, you know, a couple of years now. And and man, what a story that was this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, I made the comparison, obviously, because in terms of it fits one because Joe Rogan, you know, talked about Ronda being MMA as Mike Tyson as she walked to the cage. Um, it fits in the scope of upset that you didn't necessarily expect it, um, but definitely didn't go down the same way. I think that one ended in eight in Tokyo. This one ended in, in six minutes in Australia and was was really, really impressive. And I mean, just still, it's it's Wednesday afternoon and I'm still sitting here sort of wrapping my head around it. It's still the biggest sports story out there right now that everybody is latching on to. So that tells you. What a moment it was Saturday night when Holly Holm got the victory and, and became the new undefeated, undisputed women's bantamweight champion. Well, one of the things that got me, Spencer, is, and, and first of all, this is the main event and in what you've given me a great headline here, holy hell, Holly Holm. Um, not tw- Triple H, but Quadruple H, I guess. Uh, this... People who, again, and I, I, I love using the Twitter reference for for Ronda because that's what we saw all her fights fit into. But people who saw those Twitter moments, either one of those slow motion left jabs that I saw everywhere, certainly the finish, you know, may think, oh, it's a puncher's chance. Uh, and she caught her. And eventually that was going to happen. No way. Uh, Holly dominated the first round. Um, you go back to the weigh-ins. I think she wasn't intimidated at all. Uh, she totally outfought Ronda in terms of tactical and execution. Um, she got taken down. She got back up. Uh, this was a beating. And, uh, you know, even prior to the knockout, I, I remember looking at my wife and daughters who were big, you know, Ronda fans, said she lost that round. That's the first round she's ever lost. And that wasn't even close in the first round. It was just, I think that was the shock of it. It wasn't that, you know, even like Tyson, Mike Tyson was definitely on his way down when he lost to Buster Douglas, but it was sort of like, Tyson wasn't dominating that fight, but he was not being dominated the way that Holm dominated Rousey in that first round. Yeah, I mean, the only person that disagrees with you on on Ronda losing that round is, of course, her coach Edmund Tarverdian, who who told her everyone's going that she should be and fired. Has argued that you know she wasn't on the wrong end of the striking battle in that fight. And the funny thing is, Dana was even asked about that. Dana said, <laughs> "What did you?" And afterwards, he he was asked, "You know, what did you think of Edmund saying she did well in the first round?" And like Ben Folks and Chad Dundas, who do the co-main event podcast on, on MMA Junkie, talked about it at the end of their show this week of like Dana has ripped into people's game plans over and over again at those post-fight press conferences. And when somebody asked him about Ronda's 
he took the like, I don't want to talk. You could sit up here and say that she fought the wrong fight. But if she went out, to, it's like, dude, you have ripped apart everybody that fought a bad game plan in the past. She had no answer. And you're 100 percent right. This wasn't puncher's chance. This wasn't stung her with something and got a finish. Holly dominated from the very first second through to the end of that fight. She broke Rhonda's spear. We were watching it here, my wife and I. And when Holly first escaped, escaped the first clinch, that was a telling moment. When she then got to the ground and basically like shut down Rhonda's armbar attempt and came out the back door and hit her on the way up, you could just see that was a moment where Rhonda realized this is a stronger woman than I've ever faced. This is a more composed woman than I've ever faced. I'm in trouble. And in the second round, when there was that little matador moment, when Holly Holm ducked out of the way of a charging Ronda who fell into the cage, I knew then this that this fight was over and we were anywhere from a minute, as it turned out, to a couple rounds away from a colossal upset. Because you could just see that Ronda had zero answers. There was no plan B. There was no recognition or understanding of what to do next to change this fight. Whereas Holly was just the whole way through, you mentioned the weigh-ins. I look back now in hindsight at the entire buildup, even the promotional stuff that the UFC recorded and, and puts out where Holly's talking about, you know, everybody comes up to me and says, do you really think you can beat Ronda Rousey? And there's a beat. And she says, well, I signed the contract, didn't I? She has been one of the only ones throughout this. Betch Kohea, you know, talked about, I can beat Ronda, I'm going to knock her out. But it felt like that forced forced bravado. Holly's just been calm about this the whole way. There was no caught up in the aura. There was no thrown off by Ronda. You saw her on Friday at the weigh-ins. Ronda got all huffy and up in her face. And Holly just put her, her bottle down and threw her hands up like, oh, you're going to come and do this? Okay, I'm ready for you. Come here. And it was it was perfect. And I think Ronda has, was flustered from... Friday, probably even Thursday, when Holly didn't back down, didn't act scared, didn't sort of, you know, give, she didn't give Rhonda any reasons to hate her. And Rhonda, I think, needs that. And that threw her off completely. And we saw one of the best championship performances in UFC history. But, uh, okay, so I'll be, you know, I'm going to own it. I had suggested that I did not think that this <laughs> fight was the one that should happen because. Holly Holm hadn't been destroying people in the run up to it. If, if, right. Holly, you know, the, the narrative on Rhonda always was she's this expert judoka, uh, unstoppable arm bar submissions. She's worked really hard on her striking, but that was her weakness. So technically, you could look at it and say, yeah, a boxer would be her toughest matchup. Um, I remember one brief moment, one punch against Misha Tate, where she did look a little bit dazed. And I thought, man, if Misha could have followed up on that, who knows? But then Ronda got control again, and that was that. Um, Holly, obviously a much better boxer than Misha Tate is, uh, but she hadn't looked dominating in her fights before. I watched her against Raquel Pennington, and yeah, she won the fight, but she didn't look like someone who was going to be able to slay the dragon, which is why I thought it was rushed. But Obviously, I was wrong. Obviously, they know what they were doing because her game plan was perfect. I could not figure out, though, Spencer, and this is where, as we look at it, um, really through the lens of what happened. Uh, again, I remember Sugar Ray Leonard losing to Roberto Duran because he was stubborn. He didn't fight his fight. 
He wanted to prove that he wasn't just all flash and speed, that he was as tough as Roberto Duran. And he went toe-to-toe with Duran, and he lost, not in a knockout. It was decision, but it was pretty clear. When he went back in the rematch and he fought as Sugar Ray, he cleaned Duran's clock. So I'm sitting here watching Ronda blindly walk into left jab after left jab after left jab, and I'm thinking, why is she doing this? What do you think was behind this? Is it the fact that Ronda was stubborn and wanted to prove that she could go with a boxer? Was it the fact that she is distracted because she's doing all this publicity? She's doing tons of media. We laughed about it last week, the Ellen show, Jimmy Fallon, and not focusing on training enough. Or do you think she was just kind of burned out and we'll see a different Ronda if she does come back? Or do you think Ronda Rousey was exposed here? I think first and foremost, we we have to give credit to Holly Holm, Mike Winklejohn, Greg Jackson, that team for putting together a game plan and the right game plan that plays to Holly's strengths. I think part of the reason we haven't seen her this dominant in previous fights is because she's had to lead the dance against Rocky Pennington and against Marion Renault, who both tended to sort of sit back and look to pick their shots and be, be counter strikers as well, where Rhonda's aggression plays into Holly's ability to stick and move and, and use that footwork. Um, I think part of it is I think there's a little bit of styles make make fights here where Ronda being at her best at judoka who needs to close the distance is always going to struggle against people that are willing to be patient and have the ability to use footwork the way that Holly did and move out and sort of circle and reset throughout because Ronda needs to close that distance. She needs to get to where you are and to where she can get her hands on you. And if you can manage that space and you can take advantage of the fact that she needs, she ostensibly has to chase you. She has to catch you to make her best skills work effectively. Can she stand in range as she did against Betch Cohea? Sure. Is that going to work against Holly Holm ever? Not at all. She's She's Ronda's never going to catch up to where Holly is as a boxer and as a kickboxer. I definitely think there's some hubris in that game plan and in that fight on Saturday night because we heard Edmund Tarverdian talking about, oh, Ronda can knock her out in her boxing. She could be world class. And she was talking about wanting to be in boxing in the in the run up to this fight because she had knocked out Betch Cohea and she landed one good left hand against Alexis Davis that put her or one good right hand that that put her on rubber legs for that hip toss and finish. I also think that there there is an element of just doing too much, just having way too much going on. I've said and, and we've discussed it on this podcast. I don't think Edmund's a good coach. I don't think Rhonda has progressed from where she was even if you just go back to sort of that, the start of her really great run of, of condensed victories with the Sarah McMahon fight, a lot of what worked in the Sarah McMahon fight, yes, it was a knee that ended it, but Sarah McMahon is sort of somebody that's going to accept that clinch because she thinks she can beat you. So Rhonda got inside. Alexis Davis, Rhonda got inside. Kadzingano charged across the cage, let Rhonda get inside. She knocked out Betch Cohea, absolutely full marks for that. But I don't think Ronda is a demonstratively better fighter now than she was two years ago. Her hands are a little better, but 
she hasn't progressed the way game plan wise, strategy wise, sort of understanding wise. And, and I can't remember who said it over the weekend, but there's, there's an element sometimes with fighters where you need just to understand that this is a chance for me to log competitive minutes. And I know that seems weird to a lot of people because anything can happen and you want to get out of there as quick as possible. But when you're winning in 14 seconds and 16 seconds and 34 seconds, you're not getting a chance to work on some of this stuff that you need to work on in that live setting. You're not getting a chance to understand how you're going to respond to getting punched in the face, how you're going to respond to game plan A not working and needing to reset. And I think that's a big part of it. I, For me, I, I really expect the rematch to happen at UFC 200, as I said to you on Saturday night. So that would be July. I think in the eight months between now and then, Ronda does some some serious soul searching, probably looks for a new camp or at least some new people that she could bring in to work with her. And I think she also needs to just recognize that, you know what? Yes, my hands have gotten better. I'm a judoka. This is what works for me. I need to find a way to get inside and to me, maybe that's working more on wrestling as opposed to just judo, because we always see her look for that sort of headlock tie up or that upper body tie up where maybe there's an opportunity to drop down for a single. Maybe there's an opportunity to drop down for a double or just dump Holly home to the ground or whoever it is. Then it's in your realm and, and then you're set up ready to go. So I think we see some big changes between now and then. I also think she'll probably put or she should put. Some of the other stuff on the side. Yes, she has been a great soldier and a willing do everything the UFC asks of her. I think it's now partially helped contribute to her losing her title. And so maybe you need to press pause on some of that and get back to being Ronda Rousey, the mixed martial artist. A couple of great points in there. You know, you talk about meaningful ring time. I could not believe how much she was gasping for air after the first round. Like, yeah, again, I just, don't know if she d- didn't put in the work in the gym uh, because of all the promotional stuff and touring all over the place or maybe complacency or maybe it was the lack of meaningful ring time. But she, I mean, she didn't look just look like she was dazed. She was just, she, she looked like she was almost completely out of gas after one round. She didn't look like the Ronda we're used to seeing from the minute she walked into that cage. And the fight was getting ready to start. She didn't look in the same physical condition that we're used to. Um, And as you said, she looked spent very quickly. And some of that is obviously like aggression and frustration and your body just reacts to having that response of, oh shit, this isn't working. Now what do I do? And your body panics and and the stress of it just sort of dumps everything out. And the Mike uh, Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and she got punched Uh, in the face and didn't have a plan. (laughs) Well, and that's it, right? And and Frank Mir talked about it on the post-fight show on FS1. You have plan A. Plan A has worked throughout your career. There wasn't a moment before that fight where plan A didn't ultimately work. And you could just go back Reset, plan A again. Okay, not in. Reset, plan A again. And ultimately, you get to it. Plan A wasn't going to work at all that night, no matter how, like, even if Holly Holm doesn't knock her out, plan A of closing the distance and clinching with this woman was not going to work. Would have lost every round. And so, 
what do you do when you, you've never had to do plan B? Maybe you don't have one. And you have the added of you go back to your corner and this dude is telling you beautiful champ. Everything's where she's right where you want her. She's going to want to do this. We just need to do that as you're rinsing blood out of your mouth and your lip is split open. Yeah, that's not beautiful. That's not I mean, the contrast in in corners. And I know there are some people that sort of dismiss the influence and impact corners and coaches can have. We saw it 100 percent. There is no example you need more than that fight Rhonda got horrible advice in her corner between rounds where holly holm sat down greg jackson calmed her down did their usual 10 seconds of breathing told her what she needed to do strategically turned it over to wink wink whispers the magic words in her ear of the things that are working in the striking game and she goes out and executes perfectly where wanda just has nothing she has no answers and that to me is is preparation, is coaching, is just it really is. And I mean it it seems almost prophetic a lot of the things that Rhonda's mom said coming into this fight of, you know, she's surrounded by a, a lot of yes people that don't want to burst the bubble and and don't want to challenge her. She looks like she needs some people to challenge her right now. You can bring in whoever you want as sparring partners and have her sparring with world champion boxers, if there's not somebody there to say you're doing this wrong and this isn't going to work and this is what you need to do, sort of being that contrary voice in the room that we need in everything we do, no matter if it's fighting business wherever, you're going to set yourself up for these opportunities where all the stuff everybody has said that you're doing perfectly and you're wonderful and your shit don't stink, all of a sudden that goes sideways and you have no clue what to do. And if the one person that gets to talk to you in that one minute between five minutes of beating doesn't have anything constructive to help you, you're on an island and you're screwed. Um, and that's what happened with her. I think. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, again, you touched on in there is where does Rhonda go from here? And, you know, can she regroup in this? I, I know it has to be tough for her. She had a persona. It was everywhere from the cover of Sports Illustrated to... Jimmy Fallon, Ellen, you name it, uh, total crossover star. And part of that was her invincibility. Um, you know, pretty much everyone in MMA has lost. Yep. Anderson Silva <laughs> did Chuck Liddell did, uh, you know, go down the list. I mean, the only one who hasn't really yet is John Jones. Um, that's been on that pedestal GSP. Uh, I, I saw that video of Rhonda in the airport with Travis Brown and I was shocked. Um, cowering from everyone, sunglasses, yeah. hoodie, putting things over her face, sort of shoulders slumped over two men with their arms around her. Like it was like she'd suffered some great personal tragedy. And I understand as someone who has a ton of pride and is used to winning in 12 seconds, 14 seconds right. being told, I understand in the aftermath how that may be. And this is why I think we off on a tangent a bit. I was so, um, I, I, I so uh, happy to see Rory McDonald be proud of the right. damage he took and not a, like not basically go into a box until it had all healed. I get that with Rhonda, that may be different. You don't want to shatter the illusion a little bit more, but it kind of troubled me what I saw Spencer. And I really wonder uh, other people now may be emboldened, whether it's Misha Tate or someone else, if they get another shot at Rhonda. Um, but I wonder if how much she's been damaged by it. And again, that comes down to coaching. 
she needs someone like GSP or 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 Anderson Silva to put you know get a hold of her. Kane Velasquez, baddest man on the planet, to say <laughs> this happens. You know, but what kind of a champion are you? Can't you can pick yourself up, get back in the gym, fix what was wrong, get after it. But certainly in the aftermath of it, I wonder if she can. Well, and that's the really interesting part. And and I watched the video yesterday, and you know, people have people have weighed in in different regards. But I had a lot of the same reactions that you're you're expressing here. Of like, I understand that you don't want to show people that you're busted up and your face is, you know, your lip is split and had to be sewn back together and you're embarrassed because I mean, listen, it sucks to lose no matter what it sucks to get beat up. It sucks even more when you're sitting on Jimmy Fallon two weeks ago and say, she's going to try to do X, Y, Z and hit me with this head kick, but I'm not going to let it happen. And right away the internet goes, Rhonda predicted her own loss. This is exactly what happened. Look, that all sucks, but that's also the price of being who you are and the opportunities that have come from you being this unstoppable juggernaut. And so, yeah, you're busted up. You're a fighter. Nobody's going to begrudge you for that. The one thing we love more than seeing someone fall from grace is seeing them pick themselves up and build themselves back to where they were. We love comebacks. And so coming out of it as if, like you said, something catastrophic happened, is a little a little troublesome, a little worrisome for me. Um, it'll be really interesting to me over these next, even just two or three months, to see how much we see of Rhonda. And she said she's going to retreat, and she's going to, you know, she's got a movie lined up that she needs to do. But I, I don't think she can. I don't think there's a lot of time that she can. I don't want to say waste because obviously she's going to be doing things, but I don't think there's a lot of time she can sort of let slide by before she makes some of the very tough career decisions she needs to make for MMA in terms of MMA, because ultimately MMA is what got you to where you are. That's what gave you the opportunity to be in Expendables and Fast 7 and Entourage and everything else that's coming up. Get back to being dominant and all of that is there. Come back and and try again and people will be behind you you haven't lost all of these people as much as the internet is shitty and twitter is shitty and have said a lot of horrible things and some of your contemporaries have been absolutely miserable human beings about it but in fairness i'm going to interrupt you there Spencer. she she brings that on herself because she's miserable to them so yeah karma right absolutely and and i get that a hundred percent um I think I think the best thing for Rhonda right now would be to get right back at it. So it yep. almost sucks to me that she has a movie lined up and wants to take however many months away from things because she needs to be figuring out where she's going next. And if that's not sticking with GFC and bringing somebody in to help her, you need to find where you're going and start working with that coach because those relationships take – you know, a year, two years, three years to really solidify. Um, there's options out there. There are, there are great coaches out there. There are great camps out there where I think she could go and really take another step forward, but she's got to make those decisions. Well, we joked about it on Twitter and, 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 and when she comes back, my head would explode if we saw a rematch here on the same card as, as Jones and Cormier. 
I honestly can't even imagine what the number would be. And, and you know, maybe this is an NFL type situation where the NFL already has their, their huge audience and they can't really grow it anymore. You know, I don't know if it, how many more outsiders would pull it would pull in. So maybe the numbers would just be kind of high, but I just tend to think <laughs> that the, the heat that would be generated uh, between a rematch with those four fighters uh, would reach just a whole new audience um, and in, and just bring so many more people into the mix. Uh, I do think it would be, uh, I, we, we talked about this going back a year, the Pacquiao Mayweather, and, and I, I didn't understand all these sort of outside of sports hype that brought because boxing to me has been dead for a long time. This to me would be something that could be an ascension for UFC, something that would nudge it to another level. I could be wrong on that, but I just, I, w- I would love to see those two rematches on the same card. Well, and that's the way I think about it too, is is DC has said he wants some time off. You give John Jones ample time to continue getting his affairs in order and get prepared. And then you have these two colossal rematches that I agree with you would cross over and generate. I mean, Ronda is going to anyway, so maybe you don't want to put them as second fiddle, um, but just would be a different level of intrigue and a different level of interest and such a phenomenal way because that will be International Fight Week. That will be the launch of that new arena um, in Las Vegas that is you know, ultimately going to be the UFC's home court in Las Vegas going forward. Can you imagine just blowing that place out for the first night? You don't need that much else behind it. Obviously, they would they would probably do a pretty big card overall. You would still get some good fights, similar to sort of what we've gotten with that July show in the past. Um, but to me, it would just be like, I, I agree with you. It would just be this crazy you know, UFC 200 semicolon, the revenge tour or whatever, you know, redemption, the comebacks, whatever. Like it just becomes this two massive fights with two champions that have been, you know, have lost their belts for different, very different reasons. Getting their chance to, to regain them would be something that, something that they probably haven't gotten in terms of, recognition and, and crossover i would say since ufc 100 yeah you know you'd have uh jones cormier maybe as the main rousey uh home as the co-main and then under that i don't know maybe aldo mcgregor two uh lawler mcdonald three <laughs> just and blow Ver- and velasquez why not <laughs> well but <laughs> to open the I pay-per-view mean, you, you know you throw a number one contender fight in there yeah you absolutely throw, you know, another established name. Hey, if Nick Diaz is back around by then, you do Nick Diaz, Michael Bisping. Or a Paige Van Zandt, you know, or, like an up-and-coming female or, fighter. Absolutely. Like. One of those ascending fighters. And then suddenly you've got this show that just everybody's tuning into. The showcase, you know, becomes a launching pad for whoever emerges with the title. And if Ronda wins, you've got a trilogy fight. If Jones, if DC wins, you've got a trilogy fight. Like it just, it sets up so many other possibilities. I think they will really look at Jones Cormier for New York if they're able to get that through for April. I'm just not confident that it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, and and we've got some other stuff we have to talk about here. But <laughs> the, the the shitty thing about this for some people is lost in it in this whole thing because it was such a, a just a wow moment 
was uh, your Jacek and, and, and Letourneau. And I thought Letourneau put in a, a wonderful showing. Um, but I thought um, Joanna showed some real star power. That, that, that kid has a ton of charisma. And while everyone is in love with Ronda, um, I thought she showed some real guts in winning a fight in, I, I don't think it's unfair to say dominant fashion, but she was given a tougher test than people thought. And she found a way to get through on it. Uh, I thought that was a, a fascinating fight itself, as well as, you know, I thought Hall Whitaker was good, but Hall looked tired. Uh, again, didn't didn't look like he had the aggression, but there were some other interesting storylines from that fight, including, we'll, we'll have to get to it next week. I know we've got more stuff coming up, but my ongoing fascination and <laughs> hatred of heavyweights, because that was one of the worst fights I've seen. And it seems it seems to me, not, and I'm not talking about Hunt and, uh, Hunt and, right. and Bigfoot, that was what we expected it to be. I'm talking about Struve and... and uh, and Ro- Rochelle, it's just this is my thing with heavyweights. It's either like one of the best fights I've ever seen or it's just absolutely a waste of time. So there's a lot of other interesting stuff on that card that got buried. Yeah, and, and you're right. Val Letourneau looked much better than I think anyone, myself included, expected her to. I agree with you that Joanna's performance is is even better than some of the really dominant ones we've seen. I always like seeing those moments where champions have to sort of have that gut check of okay, this person isn't just fading. It's exactly they're, what you said Rhonda didn't do. She did do. Right. They're sticking around. I need to take it to another level. I need to really assert myself. And to me, it, it was still a dominant performance with Val even being able to be in there as much as she was. I agree with you that, that Joanna has so much star potential, so much capability. I think we'd be, t- I think we'd be talking about her far more in the wake of this, if Ronda had won and it was another Ronda fight the way that they historically have been, but because we have that, oh my God, Holly Holm looked great, Ronda Rousey lost, that's the focus, we sort of lose sight of of Joanna's tremendous performance. But I agree. I mean, on the whole, the night is the night is dominated by Ronda. Mark Hunt looked great. I thought he was in phenomenal shape. Shout out to the guys at AKA Thailand and Mike Swick for helping him with that. He seems he seems renewed, and that really intrigues me for that division. But at the same time, you're right, Jared Rochelt. It's just one of those things that he can wrestle you for for about eight minutes. He's good, and then the rest of it is just hang on. And so, well, and does Struve realize that he has to win a fight here and there to stay <laughs> in the UFC? Like, my God, show some urgency. Yeah, it's it just becomes one of those like every other fight Stefan Struve every other fight Stefan Struve comes away saying, Ah, it wasn't my best and I should have done this and I could have done that. But well you gotta just do it. I mean I yeah. I was happy to see Jake Matthews respond. I think he looked good in coming back from getting rocked. Cool for Kyle Noak to get a really impressive victory on home soil, uh, with that front kick. And then Robert Whitaker is just continues to be that really interesting guy to me at 85 a 24 year old that picks up another win has a good chin is willing to stand in there and and take some risks against a dangerous striker and and keep moving forward so a good overall card but clearly dominated by the by the main event right well and before we move on to your fight of the week i also want to say from a business point of view i know the ufc can claim to have set records because crowd ever interesting to go to a, a, a new market um, I just don't think those fights work in that big an arena. There were times you could hear drops of sweat hit the hit the canvas. There was no atmosphere in that place at all, Spencer, for most of that fight. And I know they kept going to the wide shot. 
And I'd sort of look at it and go, why on earth would you sit back there? Like, you can't even see the screen properly. But I think sometimes that cathartic feeling, there may have been the holy crap moment when Rhonda went down. But prior to that, there was very little noise and not much atmosphere in there. Yeah, I agree. And and my father-in-law was here watching it with us. He actually lives in Ontario. We were staying with him at the time of UFC 129, which I went to and covered um, at the Rogers Centre, formerly the Skydome. And I had said that that felt much different and the setup for that was much different than this past weekend because it is a little bit more of an enclosed space. It's not as rectangular and long so much as it's round and sort of on top of itself. Yeah, I mean, that, that's um, it's an Australian football ground, right. uh, which is much way larger and much rounder than, say, right. your average North American stadium. And so they did a great job, I felt, with Skydome, with the screens. They made a point of of making the walkouts a production. Um, they had great walkouts that entire night with little, like, entrance videos for guys a little bit of their flags. And I think that added to the atmosphere. But that looked like, I remember one of the first shots that came out in some of the Twitter pictures. It looked to me almost like those super churches you see where it's like, or they have the, yeah. you know, the, the giant pastor goes on the road and sets up shop somewhere because it was the lawn chairs that I can go and buy at Home Depot yeah. for 15 bucks a pop that were held together by zip ties. Like I helped set up events in Victoria. We zip tied chairs together, but we used better chairs. <laughs> and so it just like my wife said the same thing of why would you want to sit way the hell back there where you're paying thousands of dollars to be that far away. Um, I understand wanting to say we did this stadium and we did this number, but like, it's why I don't think, you know, going to Texas stadium or whatever it's called Jerry world down in Dallas makes sense because it's just like, yes, you can pack thousands upon thousands of people in there, but it doesn't have the same atmosphere as, 18,000 people at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in July where you could you couldn't hear the guy next to you on press row talking because people were going bonkers from start to finish. Yeah, there was it, it totally translated on TV that there was just no no atmosphere there. Um all right, we need to move this along. Uh we have some we will revisit some of that in a little bit. Right now your fight of the week uh, for Mike against Sahudo. Yeah, fight of the week this week so the UFC moves to Monterey Monterey, Mexico. On Saturday, sort of the unfortunateness of their schedule here because everybody's focused on last week's event. This one is sort of getting lost in the shuffle. But to me, and I, and I think most people in the industry, this is a bantamweight title eliminator. Henry Cejudo, obviously undefeated Olympic gold medalist, has talked about you know being in position for that fight, has talked about not wanting to do it in Las Vegas as sort of a snubbing you know thumb at the nose to the nevada athletic commission based on their judgment against nick diaz and he's legitimately standing to that talked to him about it again in houston last month and he affirmed that this isn't just you know i'm saying it to look cool and then i'm gonna go back on my word he's a very you know man of his word kind of dude juicier formiga came into the ufc as one of the top flyweights in the world it's been up and down for him since getting here, sort of losing to some of the better guys in the division, Joe, Joe Benavidez and John Dodson, but still very much a guy that's in that top five mix. The interesting thing for me out of this fight, both in terms of the 
first the fight itself, I think it's really cool because Formiga does well in scrambles. He's a guy that can take your back quickly. Great submission fighter. Um, obviously, Henry Cejudo sort of thrives in wrestling and those similar scrambles. So I think we're going to get an interesting style matchup that'll tell us a little bit more about Henry Cejudo and where he's at as a contender and possible challenger. Going forward to like the winner fighting for the title, DJ has said he would like to fight in February on that sort of Super Bowl card. He's content with being the number two again. He's said that again. I don't know that the winner can be ready for then for that date. So it then makes it a little interesting of, of maybe there's a chance for someone like Joe Benavides to slide in. Maybe there's a chance for someone else that hasn't had an opportunity to, to get ready and get that fight. But it's, it's a fight that holds a lot of the future of the flyweight division in its hands to me. And so if we get a strong performance either way from one of these guys, there's a very good chance that they're challenging for the title in 2016. And therefore it's a fight you, you need to be paying attention to. Um, it is funny. We've got this run of events coming up and I will say, you know, this weekend's on TSN. You mentioned the post-fight show on FS1. Still incredibly disappointed in TSN <laughs> that they don't carry any of this stuff. I had to go online to find the, uh, the post-fight press conference. Um, honestly you're either committed to it or you're not and you're not showing any hockey programming on a saturday night treat the sport properly you show the prelims and we get that fs1 desk at least come back to it afterwards right after after an event like that spencer everyone's buzzing around what happened and you're showing the same hockey highlights on five channels like come on get your head out of your ass i agree completely i mean um the fight network often carries the press conferences but again that's another package that you have to buy that's another channel that you have to subscribe to I'm with you 100%. I've had the conversation with a uh, representative from Fox because a lot of their content is geo-blocked up here. If you do try to get it on the internet, I understand why that is the case, but being a Canadian trying to cover this sport, getting some of that can't get that content, as you said, from TSN, being able to find a way to get it is is important. And so it, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I understand that TSN and... And Bell Media has made a bunch of cuts recently, yesterday, dropping some guys from the local radio station, which is unfortunate to hear. Huge but mistake, as by you the said, way, what's that? Huge mistake, by the way. But. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've, you've invested in carrying those highlights and carrying those prelims. Give it its, like, it's a perfect thing to fill the void that you don't have of hockey on Saturday nights. They run 40 nights out of the year like 40 saturday nights out of the year there's your content there's what you yeah. even if it's on one of your channels get the pregame, get the post game get all of it there you go you're all set up it's yeah easy. and you've sl you've slashed jobs so here you go pick up the feed from fox look it's yeah. insane just just makes too much sense for it to work <laughs> now as is the nature of things we talked a little bit about holly Holm. these are your championship rounds can holly Holm be a star um, so much focus is on Rousey because she was the persona, but getting lost in, in this a little bit is a star is born with Holly Holm. And, um, you know, the idea all along, and I saw, again, I saw Dana get defensive about this. I love, I love watching so many people were delighting in the fact that they think Ronda is his pet and what his reaction was afterwards. There's just some really funny stuff there, but for the good thing for the UFC is if you've actually got a legitimate competitive division now, that's better for them. Um, I know you need your crossover stars, but I think this is a great narrative and Holly Holm was that. But this idea that 
uh, a puncher um, that a boxer could never beat an MMA fighter. People were kind of throwing that to me. It's like, hold on. She's not just a boxer. She's a kickboxer, okay? Right. Um, sort of playing that narrative. But that's that's what the UFC was founded on is which style of fighting is the best. <laughs> right. You know, like, let's put these styles against each other and see what happens. And I just think, you know, I for Holly Holm, uh, I think, uh, you know, this. The, I hope this is a Star is Born moment for her. I do too. I I mean, obviously, and I wrote about this on on Tuesday that she's not going to have the crossover appeal that Ronda does and and be that kind of you know. Cross, I I hope we see her on Fallon this week talking about her win or next week talking about her win, but she's not going to be the person that is you know on the Sports Illustrated so in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or you know making the the comments that sort of divide the room in, in support or opposition to her, because that's not her character. We, we saw that in the preamble to this fight. That's who she is. That's the way she's always going to be. To me, I likened her to, to Chris Weidman on, on Tuesday on the blog saying that here's an unbeaten champion who is genuine, articulate, well-spoken, promotable, marketable, but just doesn't seem to resonate enough with sports fans because of what, what we crave now and because of what people want out of their sports figures now. And that's unfortunate, but I still think the UFC can recognize that this is somebody that we can market. This is somebody that we can promote, that we can invest in as a champion, as a star, maybe not to that Ronda level, but very comfortably as, as I said, as a Chris Weidman, as, you know, Daniel Cormier is. And DC has talked about his pay-per-view events haven't done as well when John isn't attached to them. And I understand that not everybody is going to be 500, 800,000 buys, but you can still, they can still be stars. Daniel Cormier is still a star. Chris Weidman is still a star. They're not necessarily superstars. And so I think if the UFC put some energy behind Holly Holm and doesn't treat this as the unseating of Ronda and make it all about Ronda's eventual comeback and take some time to recognize Holly as this is the woman that went out and just laid an ass whipping on this person that we thought was unbeatable and was our, our poster child. Then I think more people are going to potentially get behind her and have the opportunity to, especially if they run it back in, inside of nine months and Holly does it again. The interesting thing, Spencer, is everyone is saying, you know, whether there is an immediate rematch or, or I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Ronda, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people looking at a rematch and now people who, who would have never picked home last week are going, oh, home wins again easily. This is, right. uh, she's just, the styles don't want all that stuff. Right. Um, but how does home match up against other fighters in the division? Does this legitimately open the door for a Misha Tate, for a Kat Zingano to go ahead and, and, and be champion? Or is this, no, it's going to be her or Ronda? I think both of those fights are very interesting and, and fights that I would very much like to see if they decided to do Misha Tate versus Holly Holm in between Ronda coming back. I would not be opposed. I think it's a it's a good option for the UFC because regardless of who wins, that's a rematch against Ronda 
could you imagine the heat coming from Misha having the belt as Ronda comes back? If she were to beat Holly Holm, <laughs> they would be off the charts. Um, I think Kat's an interesting matchup because she's very physical. Uh, we've seen her in her fight against both Misha and Amanda Nunez take some punishment early, come back, weather that storm, and turn it on down the stretch. Um, she has a wrestling background, so there is that close the distance that we were talking about in the main event in the, in the early portion of this that Ronda wasn't able to do that I think she would be able to do. And, I mean, you and I have both been super impressed with Misha Tate over the last year showing that resiliency against Sarah McMahon of, of getting jacked up with a big right hand that broke her orbital and still coming forward and, and out wrestling the wrestler. So I think they're both really interesting fights. I think it does open things up. Um, having just witnessed the performance that we saw, I think there's always going to be some recency bias in there where everybody says, no, Holly home forever. And she's never going to be beaten. And Rhonda doesn't ever stand a chance. Um, I would very much be interested in seeing both of those at some point belt on the line or not, because I think each of those women have shown in some of their fights and, and in some ways they have some strengths that Rhonda right now, we don't know that she possesses. And so I would probably favor Holly in each of them, just because her movement and her footwork that fits into everything she looks to do is so phenomenal. Um, but they'd be really interesting fights. It'd be really close. You could definitely get me sitting down and spending 60 bucks to watch that fight. Well, and as you mentioned, it's, it's, there's such a, there's such a, an extra layer of tactics and strategy that goes into it. Now, I think when these other fighters fought Ronda, they totally got out of their own game plan because they were just so shit scared of getting caught in an arm bar. Yep. And home went out and fought her fight, and she had her defense. Again, she's extremely well coached. You look at that. I love John Jones' reaction. You know, congrats to my big sis. And you, then you started to see these stories that John Jones really helped her out along the way, and everyone in that gym did. And you know, that's that's a funny gym. You talked about it earlier. They're not jumping up and down trying to get noticed like some of the other uh, gyms are, and actually looking for attention for their stable. They just quietly locked away in New Mexico, going about their business, <laughs> teaching their people well, and they've had some good success there. But that's where now. I think she she had a style, she had a strategy, and she stuck to it, and it worked. So that's the issue for me now is is that the invincibility of Ronda is gone. So how now if these other fighters fought her, or would they then get caught themselves? It's, it's it, I think it's fascinating to see this division going forward. Yeah, I agree, and and there have been some some great quotes that have come out from that team in New Mexico. I mean, Greg Jackson immediately afterwards saying to Israel Martinez, who is the the wrestling coach of Holly Holm who was jumping up and down and shouting and screaming. Greg just kind of looked at him and said, we were supposed to win. So let's be professional here. We don't need. And if you look at Mike Winklejohn, if you go back and watch sort of when they're announcing the decision is he's got his arms up and he's jumping up and down and he plants his big kiss on the cheek of Mike Winklejohn. And Wink just kind of looks at him like, relax, dude, just settle <laughs> down. Like they expected to be there. None of this is, is new to them. Um, texted Brandon after the fight, Brandon Gibson, and just said congratulations to everybody there. Like, this isn't – you always see teams that, you know, they always have to support their their charge, obviously. None of that was, was false bravado going into this fight from that group. They have been 100% of the belief that Holly can do this and would do this 
from before she got into the UFC. Um, there's not a, hey, look, there's nothing, hey, look at us to that gym, as you said. They just go and do their work and, and collect titles and put on great performances. I mean, you look at what they've got coming up, Holly being very much a part of that. Uh, Donald Cerrone fighting for a title in December. Carlos Condit fighting for a title January 2nd. John Jones coming back and will be fighting for a title at some point. Um, I've got a series that I've been working on with them of Jackson's The Next Generation talking about some of the up-and-comers that people don't even know about yet that can be that next run of really great fighters to come from that gym. It is just, for me, that Saturday night was, was a reminder of how great that gym is, how great the coaches there are, what a great team that that team is. And we, you know, we use team a lot and we talk about teams, but they're, they're a tight group. They're a family. They're all for one, one for all. And so it was really great to see them get that moment again after, you know, having been thrown under the bus by Dana White in the past and, and having had other gyms come up around them that we talk about as, as the success that they've had and sort of let Jackson slide into the background a little bit. This was a reminder in the start of, of two months of reminders that this is the best gym on the planet. Well, and I see that uh, clearly that the UFC must listen to this podcast because last week I was puzzled why Jones had been reinstated and wasn't in the pound for pound rankings. And <laughs> this week he's in. So there you go. <laughs> All right, Spence. Well, we've covered a lot here, but a lot to a lot to cover. And again, we do have another event this weekend, and then another one, and then another one, another one as we as we stack up uh, going in the holidays here. So. Uh, great stuff as usual. Uh, you can find Spencer's stuff at uh, on Twitter at, at Spencer Kite K Y T E. Check him out at theprovince.com under his keyboard Kamara blog. Um, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. We'll do. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com. Follow them on Twitter at keyboard Kimura. Or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura.